0: Welcome to the P4C podcast. We are excited to reshare with you the last 14 years of teaching through God's Word at Passion for Christ Summit. Each week, the P4C podcast delivers rich truths for your life, and we know you will be blessed. Our current series is from P4C 2015, Holiness. We now join our speaker for the conclusion of last week's message. We hope you are encouraged and challenged.
1: Now, the third aspect of this reality, and that is the power of God's holiness. Verse 4. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him who cried. And the house was filled with smoke. The mere presence of God in his holiness is a powerful thing. Maybe that. There's more power in in the fact of God's holiness than there is in what we would associate with His power, like miracles and wondrous signs and those sorts of things. Because His holiness is really a, a, a fullness of all of His attributes. There's something about the holy character and otherness You'll hear me use that word. It's probably not a good word, but I, I made it up, or some it's been used. But it gets the point across the otherness of God. Something about his pure and unadulterated character. Think about a person you know that you think of as a holy person, a godly person. Sometimes we're uncomfortable in the presence of a person who's what we would say very godly, who seems really serious about their walk with the Lord and the holiness of their lives. And I don't mean that there's show-offs about it. We just sense that in their conduct and character, there is this commitment to God and this holiness of life and character. And people are a little uncomfortable around that sometimes. And It's even more so with God. I heard the story, I read the story of a, a missionary couple and the man who was telling of this experience said that he had heard of a fellow. he was a, an indigenous person to the area where they ministered and his name was known around, and he was known especially for his godliness and people just knew it was just something about this man that that exuded in his life, his character, his words that exuded godliness and. And they were driving along, he and his wife and his little daughter, little girl. And he saw the fellow. He knew who he was. He just never met him. He thought, well, this is an opportunity. I'll give him a ride, opportunity to meet him. So he pulls over and says, would you like a ride? And the fellow gets in the seat, back seat, with her daughter. And they drive along, and the fellow said very little. I mean, they reduced themselves, and he dropped them off. When he got out of the car and closed the door, their daughter was dead silent. He said, which was unusual? He said, if you knew my daughter, you would understand how unusual that was. In a moment, she said, Daddy, was that God? There's something sometimes about those who are godly that sets them apart. But how much more so? Our God, a power. It's not necessarily always shown in the quaking, but in the way it affects the lives of others, and in particular the power of God's holiness and how it affects His people, His church. This is something of the reality of God's holiness. And we will see this week and think this week how it should radically affect you and me. But there's a second aspect of holiness I want us to notice tonight. And that is the, the rebuke of God's holiness. And, and some of these overlap, but when Isaiah saw the holiness of God, it was one of the most painful and terrifying experiences he had had. Perhaps the, the most he had had in his life. And it's significant that God used this to kick off his prophetic ministry. But seeing this vision of a holy God He was personally rebuked. And then I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, The King James says, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the middle, in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He was rebuked by the holiness of God. Now, What does that mean? What does this passage tell us about this personal rebuke that the prophet experienced? Well, first, we see that God's holiness brings contrition to the heart. God's holiness, an awareness of, a knowledge of God's holiness, brings contrition to the heart. The scriptures say that a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Now, what does that mean? contrite heart. We don't really use that word a lot in our day. But this verse shows us what contriteness is. Woe is me, for I am undone. In other words, he said something like, Oh no, Micah read, I am lost. I am destroyed. I'm ruined. I'm crushed. This is a prophet speaking. And he says, I'm done. We might, in our vernacular, say, I'm toast. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we say that's sort of uh, comical. Well, I'm toast. I think he said, I'm toast. I'm done. I'm undone. Isaiah learned from personal experience what a contrition is. We have to look it up in the dictionary. <laughs> he learned from this vision of the Lord and His Holiness. Personally, what it meant to have a contrite heart. Now the word contrition originally meant, or came from a word that meant the act of grinding to powder. I worked in a power plant about 40 years ago. And uh, (coughs) it was a coal burning power plant. Still a few of those around, and uh, the coal was transported uh, on a conveyor to the plant from a pile. There was a big, huge pile of coal outside, and it was put on a conveyor and transported into the power plant. And there, there was a, what we call a coal crusher or a pulverizer, and it was put in there, and that crusher, that pulverizer, turned like this and crushed that, that coal into powder. An uncrushed pile of coal was of no use to produce electricity. It could not be used in its lump, lumpy state. But crushed, it could be burned to turn water to steam and produce electricity for thousands, even millions of people. The pressure of the crusher made the coal useful. And I say that an uncrushed person is useless to God. I thought about that before I said it. Because there's a lot of phrases we use in sermons. And then people go away and, what does that mean? It means that in some sense we have to come to contrition of heart before we can be a vessel of use in the hand of the Lord. When Isaiah saw the holiness of God, it stopped him in his tracks. It's it's as though he said, oh no, oh no, I'm crushed, I'm ruined. He felt not usable and not useful at all. People with broken limbs and crushed bodies don't generally consider themselves useful anymore. The irony of it is that sometimes they're the most useful. But I'm crushed, I'm destroyed, I'm helpless. I am toast. That is the grief of heart that comes with the realization of having offended an infinitely holy God. And all of us have done that. More than we know. I don't know if we could take much of what Isaiah got at this event. Because it's painful to know how absolutely wretched we are apart from Christ. And to get any sort of comparison to the holiness and goodness and righteousness of God. And so when you and I are confronted with the reality of God's holiness, every hint, every speck of self-righteousness, self-assurance, self-dependency is crushed. That doesn't mean it doesn't rear its ugly head again. We dwell, we live with what we call the remnants of sin. And the old ugly dead man of the flesh keeps rearing his or her head. We have the remains, what we call the remains of sin, left. But it is that poverty of spirit that has brought us to the point of growing more and more into the likeness of Christ and growing to hate sin more and more. It's interesting how that our tendency is to talk about the good things we do. Now, Maybe you haven't noticed this about yourself, but I'll just make a confession. It's true of me. If I'm in a conversation, I've done something I think people will be impressed with, I'll work it into the conversation. I don't mean every conversation, but I just mean my tendency is that we're talking about something and I can say that I did that or I did something like that or maybe I did something better than what you did. You, you, you know, you find yourself one up in the people in the conversation. Oh, yeah, well, I. Maybe you don't even say it quite that way. But, but it, we like to tell about the good things we've done. And Proverbs tells us about that. Every man will proclaim each one his own goodness. But you know what the end of that verse is. But a faithful person who can find... <clears throat> When Isaiah saw God in his holiness, all he could do gasp, gasp out these words, maybe, maybe he screamed them out. I don't know, we don't know, but whatever it was, it was an expression in which he just said, "Woe is me. I'm undone. I am a man of unclean lips. In Romans 3:19, uh, Paul says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Why? Because the law is the standard of a holy, of a holy God. The perfect standard of a holy God. And whatever the law says, it says to shut our mouth. So you can understand why Isaiah didn't have much to say. He didn't just see the law, he saw God, the God of the law. And that's what we're confronted with in the truth of Scripture. This is our Isaiah experience. The Word of God laying out before us the reality of a holy God that shuts our mouths. What good can I say about myself now? What good thing can I boast now? The Lord says, "He who boasts boasts in this that he knows me." That's it. And so, maybe you've watched. I know I'm talking to well, millennials. Is that what you all are? <laughs> I'm, I haven't been sure where that, how that fits in demographically. But anyway, you're not old people like Pam and me. Uh, I'm sorry, man. but we are older than you. But in our day, and maybe today, maybe if you've watched a western, maybe one of the old westerns. I like the old movies, the old classics. And and some fella gets the reputation because he's a gunslinger. He's good, he's quick. And he's killed a guy or two. And maybe he did it legitimately because it was for a good cause. He's not just a murderer. But if the word gets out that he is good, you know what happens. Somebody who thinks he's better and bigger and badder Comes into town and the word gets out. And one day, the first gunslinger's standing at the saloon drinking his sarsaparilla. <laughs> Isn't that what they drink? And the other gunslinger walks through those doors walks up to the bar and one looks at the other and takes a drink of his sarsaparilla. And one says to the other, there ain't room in this town for both of us. (laughs) And there isn't. One of them has to go. And God is saying, To you and me, there isn't room for a holy God and sinful self in your life. If you want to hold on to yourself and your goodness, if you want to, hold on. But there's not room for me and you too. God's holiness brings contrition to the heart. But also God's holiness brings conviction to the heart. And there is a difference between contrition, the sense of utter despair, than conviction. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That speaks of humility that comes from seeing our unworthiness and our inability to To save ourselves, our sinfulness. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. That is the grief that comes from seeing our sin in the light of God's holiness. But then there's conviction. It's not enough to wallow in the sewage of our own sin. Now some people think that if they just wallow in in feeling bad about themselves long enough, God will say, woo, that's really good, You're, you're okay now. It's not that way. There there are religions that are like that. If you just kind of have a a wallowing in the sewage of your own sin for a while, and then you'll be cool. Just feel bad. If you feel bad enough, then God will like you. That's not it. The holiness of God must be specifically applied. It must be made to shine upon every crevice of my life. And this is where the writer, the prophet says, I am a man of unclean lips. You see, it wasn't just a sort of general view of my own badness. You saw something specific here. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And the word unclean here is very vivid. I won't go too far with it, but it means defiled and vile and rotten and corrupt and polluted and filthy. I am a man of filthy lips. I am corrupted. I am polluted. He didn't say, now, Lord, remember that I stopped and helped so-and-so on the road. Or there's a couple, older couple down the road, and I've been really good to them. You know, he didn't come up with good things he had done because they didn't matter. They were filthy, too. At least as a means of any acceptance with God. He became aware specifically of the sin in his life, of the filth in his life. The holiness of God shone on his life specifically, and then he became more sensitive to the sin around him. It was not the other way around. Often the holiness of God shines on everyone but me. I hear a message, and I think, well, I wish somebody so and so would hear that. <laughs> I wonder if they're, God help this person get that? Help my wife get that. Help my brother get that. My sister get that. My coworker get that.
0: Thank you for joining us this week. If you have questions about p for c visit our website at p4csummit.org. Or you can email us at info at p4csummit.org. We hope you can join us next week on the p for c podcast as we dive into a new session from Passion for Christ. May God bless you as you seek to passionately live for His glory each and every day.